The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are live. It's Wednesday, June 4th. Is it really June already? OMG, here we are. Today's buzz is fraud. It is impacting, I believe, every company everywhere in the world, every industry. Let's get started. I have a great panel of experts. Our topic is all about fighting fraud. As hard as your company is working to implement what you think are effective anti-fraud processes and tools, and I emphasize what you think, the fraudsters are out there working around the clock to make sure your methods do not work. Aha! But take heart. Predictive analytics technology may just be the trick to help you understand what new fraud patterns are emerging and help you adapt whatever you have or get the right stuff against the new types of attack they're planning for you. Yes, they are. The tools are continuing to advance, but the big question is, does your management team take it seriously? Are they making analytics and the insights analytics can bring a high enough priority on their agenda for your company? Hey, you got to work with the tools. You can't just let them sit on the shelf. Panel of experts ready to talk to us. And by the way, this is part two of a show we did on our Financial Excellence with Game Changers radio series just a couple of months ago on April 14th. So I've invited my panelists over to the coffee break side to share their insights with this audience. First up is Derek Snadeff. He is a senior manager in advanced analytics with Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics. There's that analytics word all over the place. And Derek has brought me a quote from John F. Kennedy, JFK. Here's the quote. There are risks and costs to a program of action, but they are far less than the long-range risks and costs of comfortable inaction. Very interesting. Derek, welcome back. How are you today? Doing wonderful. Uh, glad to be back. Thank you so much. Interesting JFK quote. Talk to me about how does this apply to our topic of fighting fraud, Derek? Sure. Yeah, yeah, as we discussed, I think, on our last program, you know, there's a growing recognition of the threat that fraud poses. I mean, people are seeing the ingenuity, the sophistication of the fraud perpetrators. Um, you know, they're also seeing kind of the breadth and the complexity of the schemes that they're perpetrating. And as you mentioned in the intro, you know, realizing that pretty much every organization it can potentially be impacted by fraud. And so, Kind of against that backdrop, it's important that organizations take action using enterprise fraud management. And that's really why I picked the quote that I did. You know, yes, there are costs involved with setting up an EFM program, um, but they pale in comparison to the potential for financial, op operational, and reputational risk of, of inaction. And not only is it 
smart to, to proactively address fraud for all of those reasons, but there are numerous case studies that demonstrate the strong return on investment that's possible with enterprise fraud management and advanced analytics. And let me just give you a, a few examples. Um, so the Internal Revenue Service um, reports that for fiscal year 16, uh, they're expecting to get a 14.4 to 1 pay, uh, revenue protection payback on their enterprise fraud management approach. Mm. So for every dollar they spend trying to prevent fraud from happening, they'll, they'll prevent, you know, $14, $15 of it from occurring. And then you look at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, you know, over the period from 2011 to 2013, uh, they're reporting a return on investment of their EFM programs of roughly 8 to 1. And then Gartner actually um, kind of surveying across large financial ser- services companies um, has seen organizations have up to a 7 to 1 return on investment. Um, so, you know, on the program today, I'm, I'm really looking forward to discussing what EFM and advanced analytics are and how they can help this problem. Thank you very much for level setting for us, Derek. I appreciate that. I have a question for you. Does fraud, in terms of the definition you just shared of, of various things, does fraud impact even the smallest companies, even startups? Would that be internal fraud or would it be a, a new vendor they're bringing on board or a consultant? Where would it affect a very small company, let's say with a core team of 15 to 20 people? How would they be needing to fight fraud, Derek? Yeah, I think for your uh, very small organizations or startups, as you mentioned, you know, probably there's, you know, somewhat less risk of fraud. But um, some of the areas you mentioned, you know, uh, potential for travel and expense abuse, uh, potential for, you know, if there's suppliers or third-party intermediaries involved, um, there's potential there for potential, you know, maybe not fraud, but, you know, potentially waste and abuse. Um, so there, you know, certainly the kind of the scope of, of vulnerability for a small company may, may start out, you know, smaller. But as they grow and as kind of the, you know, the number of parties they touch increases, you know, the potential grows. Thank you very much. Just wanted to cover that. Let's turn to our second panelist. It's Michael P. Kanjemi. He's a CPA, CGMA, the president of Kanjemi Company, LLC, LLC, and the former president, CEO, and director of Etienne Agnier Group, very famous. And Michael sent me the following quote from Jack Welch, and I quote, an organization's ability to learn and translate that learning into action rapidly is the ultimate competitive advantage. Welcome back, Michael P. Kanjemi. How are you? I'm terrific, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me back. And um, before I comment on my quote, I'd like to just comment on Derek's uh, ROI. It's such a very important facet of this whole discussion. There needs, you know, we can have all good systems of control and fraud deterrence, but um, yesterday, I w- moderated a panel in Washington uh, from the Financial Executives International, and Zurich uh, Insurance Company presented uh, um, their their approach to GRC and control. And I was so happy yesterday to to hear about their ROI. So Derek's got Derek's got the objective set very nicely. Very important. Thanks for emphasizing that, Michael. So talk to me about your quote from Jack Welch. Why did you select it for this show? Sure. Well, knowing that I'm on the panel with a couple of real experts on the details and, and, and current uh, methodologies for deterring fraud, I'm a former CFO, CEO, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. most of my focus is about growing the business, but also part of that need for good controls in the, in the organization and fraud deterrence is certainly a big part of that. So what, <clears throat> what I, uh, the reason why I selected that quote is that um, I think it's very important that companies continue to advance, can grow, 
um, and learn from mistakes that have been made um, or or problems that they discover. <clears throat> Excuse me. So mm-hmm. um, in my time as a CFO and CEO, we used to follow one of the Deming principles of you know trying to identify the cause of a problem and then fix it at the source. And I think that uh, that theory really applies here. Um, Many companies uh, don't really address the use of analytics, and we're talking today about advanced analytics with predictive analytics, uh, until they have a problem. And, um, and my, one of my messages is that I think you should try to use the tools to improve your business and maybe improve the control or fraud deterrence environment at the same time. Thank you, Michael. I have a question for you about the quote in particular. The quote is, translate that learning into action rapidly. So the word rapidly says to me urgency. It says to me, things are happening outside of you. You'd better play catch-up or be ahead of the game one or the other really fast. So is the rapidity because, in our case here today, our topic is fighting fraud. As I said in the opening, Michael, the fraudsters are working hard around the clock. You're trying to fight it, and they're out there coming up with new schemes and new plans and new strategies. There really is no time to get that learning and say, oh, we'll think about it, we'll implement it in six months. That's a waste of investment, wouldn't you say, Michael? Absolutely. And, and as I said, people in management should be, you know, they, they tend to not use the tools just to kind of meander along on the business front mm-hmm. uh, until there is a problem. So the reason for my liking that urgency portion of the quote you pointed out, with the good, that's a very good call out. Um, is that you. when you do have the problem, when you do discover it, it's easy to put that off as well. But that, at that point, it's really, uh, you know, it's really a call to action that you should use as a, as, a, as a call to action to just get going and doing something about it. Michael, you have just given me the perfect segue into our next guest's quote. I don't know if you realized it, but the, you just left the breadcrumbs for me, and I'm going to follow them. So thank you very much. Our third panelist is Jérôme Pounier. I'm pronouncing that the right way for a change. He's a director of solution marketing for SAP GRC Solutions. And Jérôme, instead of quoting somebody famous, he sent me a little snippet, but very important one, from the 2014 ACFE report. And it leads back to exactly the question about rapidity and urgency we spoke about with Michael. And the quote is, the median duration... That's the amount of time from when fraud commenced until it was detected for reported cases is 18 months. Talk about urgency, 18 months, really. Jerome, welcome. How are you today? I'm very good, Bernie. Thank you. Hello. Um, yes, I, um, I, think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, yeah, we talk a lot about the, the big fraud problem, the big problem, all that cost. Um, and typically the uh, Association of uh, Fraud Examiner, the ACAFE, uh, publish their report every two years, and there's always this big number at the top, you know, the cost of fraud overall, which is like three, $3.7 billion actually now. But um, something that, is, that I think is even more compelling, I think, is the, um, the aspect of the time because, uh, and that obviously relates a lot with, uh, you know, how technology can help here because after 18 months you found a fraud case. Um, what can you do really? Not much. The money is already lost. Um, so anything we can do um, to detect faster uh, obviously will help tremendously uh, and bring that competitiveness that uh, Michael was talking about from his quote. I think it's um, the time factor is really, really important um, when we talk about predictive technology. It's becoming 
much uh, smarter and, and faster to, to find it. Uh, obviously, um, we, we are looking at technologies that, that are potentially going to work almost real-time now, so that could really uh, detect a suspicious transaction quasi in real time as it happens, mm -hmm. and then being able to hold that, stop that before damage is made, which is really a big change from the case where you find out so many months later, and the money, of course, is gone, the fraudster is maybe gone, um, how do you recover that money? Very difficult. You may go into legal, but it will be in more cost and more time and painful. Um, so obviously, uh, if you can do that much faster, uh, it's, it's a huge gain. So um, the burden uh, is on predictive, right? The burden is on predictive. Let's find it before it happens. Yeah. And one thing I want to add about the, uh, the report to the nation that was published by the ACFE, they, as, as I say, they do it every two years. And I was looking at the figures compared to the previous editions, 2012 and, and, and even older editions. And the numbers there are pretty consistent. It really shows us that fraud is not going uh, away or it's not reducing. It's, I mean, the amounts are still very big, even growing. Um, that 18 months' time uh, for fraud detection is the same as the previous report. So mm. it shows there's really uh, time to, um, you know, look at the technology and improve this situation. Um, it's, very, it's very interesting to see that, uh, how the problem is so acute still. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Jerome. Guess what, panel? It's time for me to ask you a very probing question here. What's in your cup today? Or what do you wish you were drinking? Let's circle back and start with Derek's native from Deloitte. Derek, what are you drinking or what are you drinking after the show? Talk to me. So I tell you what, Bonnie, I used my good beverage story on our first conversation uh, when I talked <laughs> about my uh, experience in Morocco and, and enjoying the mint tea there. So I ha I'm afraid to say I've just got a boring cup of water uh, that I'm drinking right now. Well, I'm sure it's very refreshing and keeping your, what we used to say, keeping your whistle wet so you can sound and, and speak very clearly on the show, and I appreciate that. But, Derek, after the show, come on, you're going to be drinking something more interesting than water. What would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I guess a, a drink that I've gotten into a little bit more recently is uh, chai tea. Um, Maybe a kind of a slight departure from the mint tea I talked about before, but um, just started kind of drinking that more recently and uh, find that to be a very nice beverage, too. Lovely. We have a lot of guests mentioning chai on the show. Thank you very much, Michael P. Jemmy, What drinkest thou today? Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad that Derek didn't use the same uh, level of competence on that as he did in the first show because I was totally intimidated by that one. I'm drinking <laughs> a bottle of water. I think we, you know, we're past the coffee stage. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying the water. I don't put it in a cup. And uh, after the show, uh, plus a few hours, I'll be happy to have a martini. Okay, honesty prevails. Thank you. Jerome Pounier, what are you drinking right now, or what will you be drinking? Um, yeah, well, I happen to be in uh, that little house I have. I'm working from home here, and I have a little house in the west of France. Um, I'm just there um, these days working. And, um, of course, uh, I happen to have seen the family uh, for lunch, so it's really funny because they really wanted me to drink really nice wine, and I had to resist so much because I oh. think, well, I have this, this show this <laughs> afternoon. I need to be able to concentrate and have all my mind. So I guess I really would like to try these wines, but maybe I'll have to wait for dinner. Um, in the meantime, I'm just sticking to good French black coffee. Um, no milk, no sugar. 
the pure Thank you very much. I trained you well. You know exactly what to say. I appreciate it very much. Guess what? I'm going to give my hardworking panel a break. We're going to be right back in about 90 seconds. Our topic today here on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio is fighting fraud, predictive technology to the rescue. In part one, I had a question mark after that. I took the question mark away. So we're going to talk about the role, the value, and the prospect perspective ROI of predictive technology. You need to know fraud before it happens. I think we've already established that. I'm speaking with Derek Snadoff at Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics, Michael P. Kanjemi at Kanjemi Company, LLC, and Jerome Pounier at SAP GRC Solutions. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and happy to be here with my panel. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Brad out. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Back. We're speaking today with Derek Snadef at Deloitte, Michael P. Kenjemi at Kenjemi Company, and Jerome Pounier at SAP. Our topic is fighting fraud, predictive technology to the rescue. Now it's time for the roundtable. You know what that means, 30 minutes nonstop. I know my panelists have got their seatbelts on, and we're ready to rock and roll here. Derek Snadoff, let's kick off the roundtable, please, with one of your talking points you sent me before the show. I'd like to dive in a little deeply, more deeply, to EFM, you mentioned it in the opening, and I see the the identification of it is enterprise fraud and misuse management. I want to know why there's not an extra F, an extra M. But we have a lot of we have a lot of F words rolling around here, and they're all good ones: fraud, fighting fraud, and forensics. So why don't we define forensics in this case of fighting fraud, and then let's do a deeper dive into EFM, please, Derek. And then I will ask, of course, Michael and Jerome to join in. So get us started, please. Sure, yeah. EFM is really about applying advanced analytic techniques, uh, best practices and processes, and specialized tools to the problem of fraud and financial crimes. And a lot of people 
you know, asked, like, well, what's the real difference between the traditional approaches that have been applied and, and, and kind of more EFM or advanced analytic concepts? And, you know, there's a, a few, I mean, the traditional approaches still are very appropriate and, and, you know, should be continued, but they can really be augmented and improved upon by, you know, bringing in EFM and advanced analytic concepts. Um, so, you know, traditionally what's happened in the, in the context of detecting fraud is it's been more location-by-location location type of a scope. Um, just because, you know, the data and querying constraints made that uh, just a reality. Um, but EFM approaches are able to handle big data, and so they can provide insight on kind of the entire population, look across multiple locations, so you really get a potentially a global perspective if you're an organization of that size. Um, you know, traditional uh, forensics has kind of focused more on individual process steps, um, so it could be maybe like the payment step. Uh, whereas EFM really brings in that end-to-end view, so everything from the, you know, creation of a purchase order all the way through to a payment or, you know, the receipt of a claim all the way through its payment. Uh, EFM looks at the entire process and tries to stop and identify, you know, suspicious activity as early in that process as possible. And, and then traditional approaches have typically, you know, done a very good job at finding the known fraud schemes, so things mm-hmm. that, you know, have occurred in the past, we know to look for them again, we can write rules and tests and be able to find those. But what um, EFM and advanced analytics bring to the table is really that ability to identify unknown fraud patterns. So what are the things that are occurring out there that I don't even know are going on? Um, and, and that can be a very powerful approach. And, and the reason why that happens is traditional approaches tended to be a little more kind of intuition-driven um, and kind of historic-driven whereas EFM tends to kind of look within the data itself to discover fraudulent patterns. Um, and so it's able to be more predictive and kind of bubble up complex patterns that you may not even have known have existed before. And the way that a lot of these kind of um, additional capabilities are brought about is with different tools that are available. Um, so, you know, historically a lot of this kind of traditional work was done just writing SQL queries, well, now with EFM, there's a whole suite of different tools, you know, IBM, SAS, SAP, and others that provide an analytic workbench for doing much more sophisticated analysis and allowing you to unearth those patterns within the data. So um, hopefully that kind of paints a little bit of a picture, though, just about, um, you know, how really traditional approaches and then the more um, advanced enterprise fraud management ones can really complement one another. Thank you, Derek. And question for you before I bring Michael and Jerome into the conversation. Who on the management team is responsible for owning EFM? Who hires the people to work on it? Where does it live, in other words? You know, I've seen, Bonnie, uh, multiple different kind of governance structures used in different organizations. I mean, I've seen it entirely within the IT shop. Um, I've seen it entirely within kind of the compliance or legal function of an organization. Um, I think probably the best practice that I've seen is where it's more of a multidisciplinary program that, that's involved, where you've got people from IT, you've got people from legal, people from compliance, um, you know, your data scientists all kind of working together as a team. Um, but, you know, there's, there's many different kind of governance models that I've seen. Okay, thank you. Michael P. Kenjemi, I know you have something to say about EFM and where it lives, so talk to me, please. Yes, I guess it's been interesting for me. A long time ago, I was a chief audit executive, and I wrote a book about internal auditing. When I started to speak over the next couple of decades, all of a sudden these new departments and new people showed up. So I think that's why uh, Derek's answer was very good. It's kind of all over the place. Most companies, though, now are, 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 are 
at least having chief compliance officers, if not chief risk officers as well. Um, and to Derek's point, the most important thing is to coordinate all these touch points. So the, the CFO, um, that was a great job for me because it encompasses <clears throat> excuse me, everything, um, you know, across organization and discipline. So um, it needs to be coordinated. The, the CFO certainly has an important role in overseeing all of this. Um, sometimes that's the chief operating officer. Um, there are typically internal audit departments and, as I said, compliance departments and risk departments that are cropping up in companies. Um, you know, one of my themes is that it's very important to integrate all of this into the DNA mm -hmm. of the organization itself. Um, so uh, even if you do have specialists, uh, you know, a risk specialist or a fraud specialist, um, part of their job should be to help train and, and, um, and, and, and get everybody thinking about these things so that they can put them in uh, and, and be focused on it even before a problem happens. Um, I'd, I'd, I love this subject of predictive analytics, but I think we, we're racing ahead. And, I, you know, I think we're talking about the companies that are the most um, advanced. Uh, the research mm -hmm. that we did at uh, FEI uh, two years ago looked at how companies, when we looked at top 15 companies, well, 15 big companies, let's put it that way, and all of them were doing something, but most of it was rudimentary, looking at disbursements, uh, mostly because they get an immediate cash uh, return from it. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of my pet peeves has been that, that companies need to be more creative. And as Derek said, there's tools, new tools coming out all the time. The technology is faster than the, you know, the management's attention to it. So I Interesting. think um, what, what really makes me happy is when, when I do see uh, the use of technology and advanced analytics, and, and uh, I'm hoping to see more examples of predictive, but I haven't yet. Um, I, I'd, lo I'd like to see it expand and, um, and go into areas where it can impact the business. Two examples I, I like to throw out. Mm -hmm. One I have seen, not necessarily a predictive analytics example, but where a company used uh, a system, actually it was oversight systems, uh, to monitor discounts. And um, look, you, know, you could be looking for fraud there as well. Uh, but they were able to move the needle on their gross margin across a, a billion-dollar company by a half a percent, and that's, that's exciting. Um, in the predictive area, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is a big uh, focus of a couple of the, the vendors that I follow, um, and they use multiple analytics tools and sort of combine the results to try to look for what might be a suspicious, or a suspicious activity or a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Interesting. When, when is the mirror going to be held up to companies that have not climbed on board, that are not realizing this, Michael? You said it's out there. We, we mentioned in the intro the tools are there. They're advancing. They're getting more sophisticated. Predictive is available. There's just a lag. What is it going to take to get them up off their seats and say, well, OMG, I'm, when's so it going to happen? Your, to start off with, I'm so happy you and SAP are doing this show because the more management's listen in on it. So, they're busy running their business on a day-to-day -day basis. Let's give them a little bit of a break. You know, the primary responsibility for them is growing their customers, growing their products. But I'll give you two examples that I don't really have any personal experience with, but they're so big you can't miss them. If you read the General Electric uh, annual report about, you know, over the last three or four years, they, they present five big missions like, you know, becoming more global. But they also, uh, one of their missions is uh, expand the use of analytics. And uh, if you read the IBM annual report, now they're, they're, it's not such a big surprise there, but, um, you know, that's one of their focuses, too, with Watson and, and, and all the rest of it. So, so I guess maybe we should just 
relax and assume this is a normal evolution because the, the okay. leading companies lead, and then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody else catches on. I guess all it takes is one big case and a lot of money down the tubes and an OMG, really, right here under our noses? That may be it, which is too late. Jerome Pugnier, I want to bring you into this, but I have to mention that, Jerome, you've got over nine years of experience in risk and compliance management, business process control, IT governance, fraud and audit management. So I know this topic is obviously near and dear to you. What are your thoughts on EFM and companies understanding the tools that are out there and doing something about it? Please join us on this conversation thread, Jerome. Yeah. Um, I yes, I think it's 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 really um, a really interesting topic here, and I um, also like to broaden the topic a little bit to yeah EFM and GRC, um, and we talk about these organizational aspects of who owns it, and and yes, um, chief risk officers, chief compliance officers getting involved, working together. Uh, so obviously not just about tools. Um, but what I, I was thinking when I was listening to uh, Derek initially, and he was talking about the difference, making the comparison between the traditional approaches uh, and traditional tools and, and, mm-hmm. and what new technology can bring, um, the more holistic view, the integrated approach and all that. I would add also something, it's, it's, it's the, the, the difference of it is that it's also much less static because uh, the traditional approach, okay, you look for fraud, you, you find it, uh, you don't find it, uh, you, you know, try to um, uh, manage your fraud cases and then you continue like this, but you don't really evolve so much. Um, Whereas new um, tools, uh, EFM solutions that are, um, you know, being launched, marketed now, um, are also much more dynamic. I mean, you, it, it, the important aspect is it can evolve uh, much more. You can you can become smarter. You can improve your rules continuously. You learn from the experience, and you can. Uh, constantly um, adapt, um, um, update your fraud strategies, etc., to to become smarter. And it's also, um, if I want to look at the bigger picture, how it interacts with um, GRC um, more generally is the fact that you. you it, it's an opportunity to improve your governance. Obviously, you find, I mean, um, EFM solution helping you to. Uh, find, detect fraud, uh, it shouldn't be just, you know, okay, I, I found it, I, I sorted it, I build a case, I go to legal, etc. But also learning from, from that to see how can we avoid it to happen in the future. So maybe let's, let's look at how we can improve our controls and we go into the control system. Um, and maybe also um, using that information to um, manage risk indicators. We see that um, more fraud cases happen in certain areas. This is uh, an evolution of the level of risk in maybe those areas that we need to look after. And then the risk managers come on board. So, yeah, it is, it is a very um, – it becomes a much broader subject. It touches more um, um, persons in the organization. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's a lot of benefit in, in learning from, from what the, the, the tools bring, you know, what they found, and, and, and um, how, you know, strengthen the whole uh, defense system against fraud and, and, and also um, 
getting you know much better compliance because there's all these aspects of you know reputation and and, and potential fines for example when you talk about corruption and things like that Thank you, Jerome. I, I have a question for the whole panel. We're talking about trying to detect fraud at its earliest roots or emerging fraud patterns. My question is, if you know about it and you have a department, we, I spoke with Michael P. Kinjemi and uh, Derek Snadoff about where does the EFM function live, if I can call it that, what part of the organization, and, and we all said there are multiple places all over the place. Okay. What about awareness that you're doing this? I'm talking about the human side of fraud prevention is, damn it, we've got EFM in place. We have fraud detection analytics in place. So don't try it here because chances are we're getting good at unearthing it and predicting it and unrooting the places where it lives. So is there any value? Let's just for a moment. I know this is not a tech question, but it's an awareness of technology question. Who on the panel would like to take that? What, what's your advice to a company to to say to their people, their consultants, their vendors, you know, you see a, a sign when you walk into a store, um, cameras are on, don't try fraud here, we will see you, we will find you, we will prosecute, shoplifters, for example. So how do you make that known to the company so that people know don't try it here? Uh, Jerome or Derek or Michael, who wants to give me a little clue here? I could start with um, the, because this, this also relates to the, the linkage between uh, fraud management system and uh, governance risk and compliance. One of the mm -hmm. very important aspects in GRC is, for example, policy management. And obviously, company can improve on, on an ongoing basis their policies when they see cases of fraud happening and say, we need mm -hmm. to have better policies. And and, and policy management, uh, what you actually can do with with uh, technology is to um, you know to help distribute, communicate policies more effectively uh, to the right persons. Um, and and we see that very much at SAP. As, a, as an employee, I, I regularly get these new policies, and I need to comply to, and I have to read the policy and acknowledge I have I've read it. So I commit to um, it, it's a commitment, it's an acknowledgement, it's important. So it it brings more sense of responsibility. Doesn't mean that people won't fraud, but at least they are being uh, advised, and 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 you know that that is an element of deterrence. Thank you very much. Michael P. Jemmy, what do you observe in terms of deterrence uh, well, uh, for making awareness? What do you see? Yeah, I think it, we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, well, in a couple of different places we've kind of touched on this, and that's probably it's a good idea to bring it together. So mm -hmm. um, we mentioned fixing problems, where I did, and we, we're, when you talk about fixing problems, um, one of the things you do is change policies. And, and another thing you might do, and I, I mentioned this earlier as well, you know, training and making people aware of the programs and the tools that you have. What I was thinking about when you framed that question was um, not necessarily in the area of fraud, but, it, you know, it could be because uh, I was thinking of IT security. And, you know, if you think about the target uh, issue that just happened. So companies are either aggressive at putting in, uh, in many cases, monitoring systems and analytics uh, to uh, protect their IT systems. IT is kind of special because that department thinks about using computers first um, and foremost. So it's, you know, I, I could say it this way, they're kind of an easy sell. That, that makes it sound sinister, but they're actually uh, smart about using technology. And the ones that have the best systems 
probably the people who are trying to penetrate them or per- perpetrate a fraud like what happened at uh, Target, um, they're deterred. So, uh, so you can, uh, you know, you can get the word out pretty quickly if you, you know. And I think the fraudsters know, um, just like if you have an alarm on your house or not, that uh, certain companies are advanced in their use of technologies. So it's kind of interesting. I, w- I wonder if it applies to the area that I see the most of, which is in cash disbursements and P and E. Uh, once people put in these systems that are widely available now from, you know, from monitoring companies. Um, I'm sure that the, the you know that some of the frauds are deterred because people know there might be an easier mark. Interesting, Derek. Thoughts on this on awareness and policies and uh, letting people know, hey, don't tread here. You know, I'll actually just share an anecdote because I think this will uh, be a nice way to make this point. I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that strong EFM programs have a deterrent effect, and and this was actually a, a fairly widely reported uh, media story just in the last few weeks, but. You know, there was a, a cluster of luxury condos, um, you know, like about 865 different um, units in there, and garages full of Porsches and Aston Martinis and, and, you know, like just luxury vehicles. And then yet there were all these residents that were claiming Medicaid, you know, which is really meant for the poor and the disabled. And so, you know, investigators looked into it, you know, based on, um, you know, leads generated through an EFM program. They ended up charging six of the residents uh, with Medicaid fraud. And then all of a sudden, within weeks, you know, there were hundreds of other uh, folks that had been claiming assistance that stopped doing it. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that really just drives the point home. You know, I mean, and that's also the kind of the beauty of the uh, predictive and advanced analytic techniques. It's like, you know, once that pattern is discovered for a particular perpetrator, you know, the models are intelligent enough to go and look for that same pattern occurring elsewhere and find it amongst more people. So. You know, either either you see the deterrent effect and stop, or the models are going to catch you. Firing a warning shot across the bow, I think. That's right. <laughs> Hello, we know we know we don't know who you are exactly, but we know what you're doing. Okay, you don't want to have your name on the on the wall of shame. Uh, let's turn corners here a little bit, Michael P. Kenjemi. I, I I told you I wanted to use your middle initial, and I've been true to that, Michael. Uh, let's turn to cloud. I don't know if we've mentioned it yet in the conversation, but we're talking about EFM and analytics, predictive analytics, particular in terms of fighting fraud and knowing what's happening before it happens, if you can. How does cloud delivery improve this and make it available for more companies? Michael, can you start this for us? Yeah, I'd love to. That um, So I started out uh, following this analytics space about five years ago very closely, and, um, and we, even in the FEI research paper, we talked about the hurdles. In order to buy, you know, big, expensive piece of software, you have to get the software onto your systems or you might need new equipment. All of that requires IT approval. Uh, you know, it's a major capital expense. So, uh, so what we're seeing is a shift to the cloud where uh, one vendor in particular that actually what does work with SAP is Oversight Systems. They have switched to something called Insights on Demand. And rather than um, introducing their software in a big w- way, uh, buying the whole package and putting it in, they they allow companies to use an instance of it over the cloud. You you basically run some data in in the cloud uh, through their analytics, and you get immediately actionable insights. And what's been interesting to me as a business person is that that has turned out to be a great uh, way to introduce people to analytics. And mm-hmm. and once it's in, they start expanding it. 
Uh, also, the company can choose how often they want to run it, and, you know, it's sort of a paper run. Uh, we don't have time to go into the issues of cloud security, but that's usually the first question that's asked. And, uh, but they're all manageable. I mean, that, that the organizations like ISACA have lots of papers out on it, and um, obviously we're all banking, um, you know, over the cloud, and, uh, you know, it's manageable, but you have to pay attention to the uh, IT security issues. But the cloud, I think, uh, could really change the paradigm. You know, you're talking about systems that used to cost, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, and now you can uh, you can operate, you know, you can try them or use them um, on certain data sets to see what kind of actionable insights you can get and how quickly you can get an ROI, uh, you know, for a couple of thousand dollars. That's well, it sounds thing. reasonable enough. It sounds too good to be true and sounds good enough to try. Derek Snadoff, from your Deloitte perspective, you agree, disagree with Michael in terms of using cloud to dip your toe in the water of analytics? Completely agree. Yeah, that's actually an emerging trend that we're seeing as well that, um, you know, the, the stand-up, if you put, put in place an entire EFM program, you know, which could bring in, you know, tools around like case management and, um, you know, visualization, reporting, you know, the, those price tags can start to add up. And so, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing a, a move towards cloud-based solutions where, you know, to Michael's point, organizations can dip their toe in the water. You know, they can start exploring the data, start seeing if they're able to generate improved fraud leads. And, and do it more on a subscription or pay-as-you-go type of model. So I, I definitely see that as a, an emerging trend and, and, you know, probably increasingly the norm. Okay, and increasingly the norm is a good thing. Uh, Jerome, thoughts on cloud for predictive? Joining in with the other panelists, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree with what has been said, really, because uh, we've observed it as well. We've, we've had lots of contacts and discussions uh, with companies that are really interested in the cloud. Obviously, um, they have you know, good reasons for that, they, especially if you think about maybe smaller company um, that can you know, see the interest of the technologies that are available out there but are a bit concerned with the cost and, and the work it involves. They're really keen on, on, on having um, cloud options because they see an opportunity to uh, get uh, benefit of the, the mutual uh, of the community in a way, you know, we we have. I mean, it's not. I mean, the technologies that are being developed also bring best practices. So um, having uh, the possibility to use them on the cloud, um, making them more accessible, is also allowing smaller organizations benefit from uh, that power, from that um, knowledge, that experience, um, that smart technology. Um, and getting the benefits of that, just as the, the bigger the bigger players, that uh, traditionally were the only ones that could afford it because they could uh, implement it on their systems and 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 spend all this all this cost. Um, one other thing I would say also is is because the area of fraud and and, and even you know GRC in general is more um, it, it, it follows the the evolution of companies that are more and more um, you know connected and interconnected with uh, you often talk about those network of, of partners suppliers they work with a lot of other organizations they're not not just um, um, a closed organization and and these fraud problems these they're not just 
you know, inside and not inward. They're more and more so outward. They need to, to check what's going on, for example, with, with key vendors, you know, or if they are subcontracting. You know, we've seen all these stories about companies having problems because they use um, 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 vendors or subcontractors in, in uh, emerging countries that do not uh, maybe sometimes follow the rules. They need to, and that, that of course, create, has consequences, and that comes out in the public, and that affects the reputation of the the main company, the, the you know that that purchases those services, that uses those subcontractors. So they need to to look after these things, and then I think the cloud uh, technology makes a lot of sense there because um, it's it makes it easier for them to bring in. Uh, the whole network um, of um, partners and suppliers and, and, and subcontractors into the, um, the you know the supervisory system. Um, they can you know uh, monitor what's going on uh, also with these uh, key partners and make sure they comply and make sure that there's not fraud happening there that could be um, uh, problematic for, for, for the reputation. Good advice. Thank you. Guess what? We're about two minutes from break, but I want to sneak in one more topic we haven't covered yet. It's from one of your talking points, Jerome. I just had you on. So let's do this, and then I'll ask my other panelists to bring this in on their predictions. And the question, Jerome, is new predictive analytics available on the market have created a new demand for specific skills. So we're talking about new jobs, data analysts, experts in behavioral analytics. That must be a very exciting area. I think I'll study that for my next career. So, Jerome, just quickly, uh, what are you seeing from your vantage point at SAP in terms of specific skills, these new skill sets that are being required? Are they here now? Are they something that colleges and universities and, and uh, I don't know, technical schools are starting to ramp up and offer courses in these? Just briefly, introduce this, please. Yeah, it, yeah, it's good. It's a good point. Um, there, there are a lot of these new jobs that are emerging, and 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 if you look at you know offerings, job offerings, you can see that um, high demand, higher salaries also going up, uh, high demand, and 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 already resource shortages for for these. Um, the, the the flip side of that is that we're actually um, you know technology needs also to be um, you know more easy to use because. Obviously, um, company can't just rely on, on very, very scarce, very, very uh, highly skilled resources. But yes, they, they will obviously uh, be, um, you know, needed and, and more and more to do the more sophisticated bits. But we need to have the core part of, of um, analytics and, and, and fraud detection tools being accessible to, um, you know, not just the very, very, very expert people. Okay, thank you very much. Guess what? We're going to go to break. I'm going to ask my three panelists, Derek Snadoff at Deloitte, Michael P. Kenjemi at the Kenjemi Company, and Jerome Pugnay at SAP, to go out and find the crystal ball. If you didn't already before the show, you know the shed, the back of the car, the boat, the attic, wherever it is. Polish it off, and I'm going to ask you if you can see blue skies or, forgive the expression, cloudy skies in terms of the race to figure out fraud before it happens and what's going to happen with predictive technologies. Let's fast forward to the year 2020 because we know that's what we think hindsight is right now, and that could change as well. Once we get to 2020, I don't know what we're going to say. So we'll be right back after the break, and I'd like to also ask Michael and Derek to bring in in, uh, something about who will be doing these jobs, these predictive jobs, who will be doing 
this behavior analytics, behavioral analytics in the next six years? Are we looking at a new trend in hiring? So we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for the, well, we're talking about predictive analytics. Now we're talking about predictions, the crystal ball segment of the show. Let's start with Derek Snadoff at Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics. Derek, what do you see 2020? Can you fast forward that far? You want to go farther out? Let me know in terms of fighting fraud. Where will companies be in six years? Talk to me. Sure. Yeah, and, and I guess to, to pick up on the point uh, just before we went to break, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do see that, you know, right now there's certainly a shortage of talent for some of the advanced analytics and predictive analytics capabilities that are needed. Um, you, you know, you're increasingly seeing a lot of universities, you know, I think of like Northwestern, North Carolina State, LSU and others, um, have started to create um, analytic programs, um, you know, and, and I know a lot of organizations are starting to do more and more recruiting directly from those programs to bring in that um, business analytics um, talent into the mix. Um, but I, I, I am, and I'll tie this in actually to a, one of my predictions, I, I do see, though, that, you know, the, the demand is going to kind of significantly outstrip the supply for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, so, you know, a lot of the, the folks coming up through college now will come out, you know, in the coming years with um, this kind of background and be able to, um, you know, to hit the ground running. But, you know, there's going to be, a, you know, probably still not enough to meet the demand that's out there. And so I, you know, kind of almost like a little bit of a variant of a kind of a cloud type of model. I, you know, I think that the fast-growing analytics demand is going to kind of only widen the talent gap. And, you know, that there will continue to be kind of a shortage of data scientists and data analysts, you know, to Jerome's point. And I think what that's likely to do is open up opportunities for, you know, a concept of maybe like on-demand analytics um, that would work almost similar to the cloud in the sense that, um, companies could procure pay-as-you-go or subscription-based analytic services from experts. Um, just, you know, because if a company doesn't have those resources in-house, you know, that might be a nice model for them to, you know, tap in as they need to um, analytic capabilities in general and, and particularly for the problem of uh, fraud and financial crime. So that's one thing I think that we'll see in the coming years. 
Um, you know, I think cloud in general is, is an emerging trend, like we discussed a little bit earlier. I, you know, I think that's going to continue. And, and I think we're starting to see some early signs of, of something that I think is, is very important, and that's knowledge sharing and collaboration mm-hmm. across you know, industry or across kind of fraud application. Um, I think that's going to be a, a, an important trend that, that will, will continue to go on in the next several years. And I think will only help to make the fraud detection and financial crime detection capability stronger for companies. You know, it kind of gets into the um, point we discussed before about the self-learning and continuous improvement um, that you get with EFM approaches. I mean, just think about how that could be exponentially more if it's not just confined to a particular organization, but it's cutting across multiple ones. And so I think you're starting to see that already. You know, there's public and private healthcare anti-fraud forums that are starting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also um, kind of forums and collaboration sharing occurring across financial service institutions. Um, you know, there, there's certainly some um, privacy things that are being worked out, um, you know, with those partnerships. But you know, I think that'll get ironed out, and I think you'll see kind of increasing collaboration as a, another trend in the coming years. Thank you very much. I just Googled fighting fraud at the corporate level, and I came up with an old article called Feds Fighting Fraud with Technology, but the writer says maybe the government's catching up to what corporations are doing, but it may be a very long time indeed before the feds, we're talking about U.S. federal government, can launch a truly integrated GRC system that can proactively capture fraud <clears throat> reports and process them through a case management application, blah, blah, blah. Still, we got to give them credit for the headway they're making. Okay, credit to the government. Thank you very much. Michael P. and Jimmy, it's time for your predictions. What sayest you? Can you look ahead six years for me, or what's your time frame? This is the most fun part of this interview, although it's been great again, uh, this this, uh, (laughs) panel. So um, I'm going to take us back a second. Gartner describes the various levels or or timing of of analytics in the following. They say descriptive analytics was where it all started. Uh, Then you go to diagnostic analytics and then predictive analytics, and then someday – prescriptive analytics that actually tell us things. Uh, my my uh, view on where we are, well, where it all starts, and actually I'm going to tie it into the, the staffing issue, um, mm-hmm. analytics have always been used in finance. I went to a, a session in New York City last year on analytics, and when I got there, there was a college professor that was talking about manual analytics, looking at ratio analysis and stuff that I learned when I was in college a long time ago, that it, it is analytics. It's just not what we're talking about here uh, with automated analytics. But we're still really in the early stages of, auto, of, uh, of automated analytics. We're certainly using a, a lot of diagnostic analytics, and as we're talking about today, the predictive analysts are coming on and coming on fast. So if I zoom ahead, I'm going to pick up a new technology and throw it into the mix, and that new technology is video monitoring. So Right now, video, you know, we use video to kind of watch things and go back if there was a crime or a problem or theft and look at the videotapes. Uh, there's tremendous data in this video. The problem is that it's very hard to glean information out of it, and it's just huge volumes. Uh, um, I was uh, involved in a meeting where, since we do work on this space at the FEI, uh, a, a branch of the United States military came to talk to us about how could they use analytics to view the volumes of um, video that they had, some of it from drones that carry eight cameras. So it actually gave us a kind of a mind freeze that uh, how could did the volumes of data just crush even the people in the room that understood them better than me. So 
we haven't given up. There are companies now. There's one that I, I, I was actually drawn to in Canada. I, I work with a company called Caseware. It's out of Ontario and Toronto. And from those connections, I found a company called Solink. That's actually, right now, that's their business. It's a startup company. It's a private equity company. And they, um, they are able to, with their technology, glean information from video and, and then do analytics on it and then you know, produce things. So a simple example, you already have the cameras in like retail stores. And basically, they're there looking for theft. You can follow up after the fact. But you can use the cameras uh, to count the people in the store and maybe change your staffing uh, mm-hmm. in the front of the store. You can, um, you can be creative in how. And I, I think so I think we're at the hugely early stages of this. It probably falls into the diagnostics analytics. Michael, I have to cut you off because I have to give Jerome 30 seconds. We're out of time. I am so sorry. I see part three in your future, my friend. Jerome, I can give you exactly 30 seconds for predictions. Go. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, wow. Well, my (laughs) – I I think it's it's very exciting to look at how, you know, these uh, practice technologies are going to expand. And and I'm also thinking a lot about, you know, getting out of this, not just the the traditional transactional data from – the company manages, but all these aspects of, of going after big data and then looking at unstructured data, social media data, etc. Um, I mean, in, in risk management, we, we see companies starting to use sentiment analysis, what is called. It's, it's mm-hmm. to look after what's happening on the social media space and, and see how uh, there are things happening that could damage the reputation of the company. I think we can really see that happening also for, for fraud, looking at this, this data, this really, really wide range of data to, to find information that, that could indicate uh, something is happening. Uh, Jerome, I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say thank you. Yeah. Save it for part three. I promise to invite you back. I want to thank my panelists, Eric Sandoff and Deloitte. Good conversation. It just doesn't want to stop. That means it was great. Michael P. Kenjemi and Jerome Pounier, thank you so much for your intelligent comments and insights and sharing your expertise. Thanks to Malcolm Kimberlin for tweeting and Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll see you next Tuesday with HR Trends with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific. Be there. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.